Let us be reminded, brothers and sisters, everything has to do with the mercy of God. We live and we breathe and we celebrate birthdays and we do and we sing all because God has had mercy on us. So please turn to Philippians chapter chapter 2. And we can honestly say one thing from this chapter alone that we have learned thus far is how to be humble servants. How to serve with an attitude of Christ. And we as believers have called, have been called to have the same mind, to be united in one spirit, and to regard others above ourselves, and to do so with the humility of Christ. However, brothers and sisters, we have to know and understand that we all have different gifts, different abilities. We are called to do different things. We are wired differently, but we are all called to serve with a humble heart. And why am I saying that this morning? Because some of us are well known in our servants, in our service. We we sit at the front and, and we preach and we teach and we do the offering and we sing and we look like we are laboring hard and and we serve the church and we lead the church. But that does not mean that others are not called to serve and not called to be likewise. And it does not mean that those who are actually serving in the background are seen as less of a Christian in the eyes of God. You see, perhaps there are those who are serving amongst us and in the churches whom we don't really hear much about. Yet they are passionate, they are willing to serve, they are active, they are humble. They just don't seem to be noticed by many, mentioned by many in the church. But great is their reward in heaven. They continue to serve in the background. They continue to make themselves available. They continue to be teachable. And they help the elders to make their laboring easier. Church, the church of Christ is not just made up of elders, deacons, and leaders, and musicians. It's made up of many, many members. Even those whom perhaps we think are not worth much or hear about. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 onwards, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And all we are, all made to drink from one Spirit. For the body is made up of many members and goes on like this. And you can read that in Romans at at, at your leisure. This morning, we come to a portion of scripture here in chapter 2 of Philippians. As we come to a close that we see a man whom is not as well known as was the Apostle Paul. He is not as well known as was Timothy. Timothy and and the Apostle Paul, we can study them and we can see how Timothy came to save in faith as we spoke about that last week. And and he gave his life away to God. He was attached to Paul as a companion to Paul. He became like his son and Paul, a father to him. But the man that we're talking about this morning is Epaphroditus. Yes, it might sound like I think someone said to me is a disease or something. No, that's his name. That's a man that we're going to be talking about that we want to draw our attention to whose name is perhaps really shaded in Scripture. We don't really talk about this man much. He may be in the background somehow in the most of our minds. We don't know much about him. We don't know when he was saved. We don't know when he started the ministry. We don't know if he had a family. We really don't know much about him yet. What we can see here through Scripture, that the Apostle Paul has something to say about him. 
He may not have been at the forefront a prominent figure in the faith like Paul and Timothy. But we can learn a lot from this man this morning. He, he might not be in a, in a, a chapter of the hall of faith, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11. But this man shows us this morning that no matter what gifts you have, no matter where you are, you ought to do all that humbly for the glory of God because this man was not looking for a position. He was not caring about his possession, but he was using his gifts for Christ and for the people of God. He may not be noticed by many. Someone I told him who I was preaching on, and they said, Who? Not many people have heard of this man. But the scripture God, through his sovereignty, has placed him right here in chapter 2 of Philippians when we're speaking about what does that mean, what, is, what does it mean for Christians to walk humbly? Because the whole chapter, as we've discovered, is about humility of service. And so we've seen Christ as the perfect example, Paul the other example, Timothy the other example. And now we come finally, as we're closing this chapter, to Epaphroditus. So let's read together these from chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. And I've named this sermon this morning a resume of a, of a humble sermon, servant. A resume of a humble servant. And let's see what the scripture and the spirit of God says to us this morning from verse 25 but i thought it necessary to send to you epaphroditus my brother a fellow worker a fellow soldier who is also your messenger and a minister to my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that you, when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Three things we will look at this morning. The character of the servant, the compassion of the servant, and the willingness of the servant. Here we see Paul once again highly commending this man as he did with Timothy and bringing us a different perspective on what it means to be servant of God. He was a servant to Paul. He was highly esteemed by Paul, by the Philippians. He was a bond servant of Christ. He was sent by the Philippians to aid Paul in his imprisonment. To give Paul some relief as we see that in chapter 4 verse 18. It says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And again, let's remember he is sent on his journey. And along this journey that he sent there for the work of Christ, he becomes sick. And the Philippian church hears about that he was sick, but God has mercy on him and Paul sends him back. This is basically our passage for this morning. He was sent as a sacrificial servant to Paul. Once again, let's understand something. He was sent to Paul to minister to Paul. He was sent there by the Philippian church. So the Philippian church obviously saw something in this man and trusted this man to send him to Paul. And where was he sent? 
He was sent into, into the battlefield. He was sent to Rome. Men in skirts, that should tell you also how bad that would have been, right? The Romans used to wear skirts back in them days. That's dangerous enough as it is, but we won't go there. Whatever this man was, obviously he was respected by the church. But let's understand a little bit, okay? Paul, why was he sent there to relieve Paul? Back there, Paul was under house arrest. So he needed daily living, drink, clothes, and, and, and things like that. You know, they didn't have Centrelink in, in them days. They didn't have government help, especially from the Romans. So, so he was sent there by the Philippians because they loved Paul. And remember, we spoke about this last time. There was 1,200 kilometers that he would have had to travel. There's no bus. There is no Uber. There is no plane, no jet. There's nothing like that. No roller skates to, to go on it. No, he would have had to travel all the way there. And then Paul then starts to just picture this man to us to show us who he really is. And it begins by saying, we'll get back to the why it was necessary for Paul to send him back in a second, okay? Because remember, he said, I'm going to send Timothy, but I'll see how it will go with me. But it is necessary for me to send you this guy, Epaphroditus. We'll get there in a minute. But look at what he says about this man. This is what we want to look at. What does Paul say about this man? I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. My brother, this speaks of one, number one, that he's born again, but this speaks of personal relationship, affections, love, service, humility, family. I don't know how many of you have been watching the Puritan conferences, but what's the one thing that we can learn from the Puritans that they preached about? Affection. It was affection. And Paul says, this is my brother. I have affection for him. He has affection for me. I want to share something with you. There's one thing that we say, I have a brother who occupies the same space as me on Sunday morning. And there is another thing when I say he is my brother. There is one thing to say, I am a Christian. It's another to say, you are my Christian friend. You are my family. This is a brother to Paul. And the first thing we see that Paul says, he is saved. He's born again. Because that's when everything begins and needs to begin that you need to be a Christian. And a brother, my brother, is someone who can actually vouch for you. A brother, when you say my brother, is someone who is actually next to you. And you have great joy in saying he is my brother. This is what Paul is expressing. Epaphroditus was Paul's brother in the gospel, in service, in ministry. Is this not a perfect picture of humility? Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. It speaks of relationship. You cannot say, I am a brother in Christ with my brother and have nothing to do with my brother. It does not exist. If you have a sibling and you live in the same house and you don't talk to them, you are not being a brother to that person. It doesn't work in the flesh, how much more in the spirit. And what does this tell us? So to be part of any kind of ministry, one, you need to be born again. And second, from that, from you being a brother again, I'm including sisters here when I say brother. From that stems affection of love and service and relationship. You cannot say, I am a brother and sister who cannot stand my brother and sister. It doesn't work. It's unbiblical. And then Paul continues to flesh out for us what this man's character is like. He's my brother, but he's just not only my brother. Look at what it says. 
He's a fellow worker. He's my brother and my fellow worker. What does that tell you? That a fellow worker gets beside another brother. He is not lazy. He's not complacent. He gets beside Paul. He didn't just bring Paul money. No, he was working with the Apostle Paul, fellow worker with him, involved in his ministry. He was not a spectator. He was not just sitting in the background. He was not one, call me if you need me and I'll be your brother. No, Epaphroditus was back to back, arms in arms with the Apostle Paul for the gospel and for the church. He did not squander his gift, his availability, and his ability. This man knew exactly what God wanted from him. And it wasn't just to deliver money to Paul, but to love Paul, have affection for Paul. And that is what we see with this man. Is that not what we are called to do, to be fellow workers? Are we not called to be fellow workers together, arms in arms? Most of us, we read Ephesians. Let me read it to you, chapter 8 and 9. And we say, for by grace we've been saved through faith. And, and that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. And all the brothers and sisters say, Amen. Brothers and sisters, read verse 10. Please, I beg of you. It actually says, for we are, because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? Which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. A brother and a sister who has no work is a dead brother and perhaps not a brother or a sister at all. Because God prepared good works for us to walk in them. Did Jesus not himself say, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me? Epaphroditus, he knew so well that to glorify God was not just in words. It was in action to bring forth fruit, not by sitting around and waiting and expecting to be served. Rather, he served. And he didn't desire anything in return, as we will see. He served, and he desired to serve Paul, and he desired to serve the Philippian church. This is a resume that we want on our tombstone. And Paul goes on to say, just in case we didn't get this, he's also my fellow soldier. He's not just my brother. He's not just my worker. He's my fellow soldier. We spoke about this briefly last time, what it means to be a fellow soldier in chapter 1, verse 27. One who stands firm, holding the position. One who holds the ground and he fights against the enemy. He's willing to suffer for others. And the Apostle Paul said it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, You fight the good fight. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. In 2 Timothy, once again, the Apostle Paul says to him, chapter 2, verse 3, suffer hardship with me. How? As a soldier of Christ Jesus. Epaphroditus was a soldier with the Apostle Paul. He was fighting with the Apostle Paul. And we know that when the Apostle Paul comes at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, what does he say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the cause and I have kept my faith. A soldier, a good soldier like this man is in the firing line. A good soldier, he is at battle under persecution. He's in the battlefield and he's fighting his flesh. He's fighting sin. He's fighting the forces of darkness. As we saw last time, just to be associated with the Apostle Paul could cost you a head. 
So when we're talking about this man being a soldier with Paul, Paul wasn't just flippantly saying something nice about him. He's fighting with me. He's not ashamed to be my companion. He's not running away like a coward. He is a proud soldier and he's proud and his desire is to please his commander and chief, Jesus Christ the Lord. What a, what a character. And just like any good soldier who fights and desires to fight the good fight, there's going to be some battle scars. Right? Now, this man had battle scars. He nearly died. Timothy had battle scars. He continuously fought against people that didn't want him to be in that kind of position. The Apostle Paul has battle scars. He's in prison, is he not? And then he dies for it. Who better than that than to show us battle scars than Jesus Christ himself? You want to talk about battle scars, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ will wear those scars for eternity. That's battle scars. That's fighting like a soldier. And if it's good for Jesus, it ought to be good for us. And Paul adds to this resume. Now he changes. He says, this is what I see of him. And then he says to the Philippians, let me remind you that you sent him. He's your fellow messenger. He's your fellow messenger. Look at the text. Who is also your messenger. Your messenger to my needs. Messenger there is the word that we get apostle, but I won't get into that. The word simply means one who is sent out for a task. He's not an apostle, so there are no apostles anymore. He did not see Christ. He was not chosen by Christ, but it simply means one who is sent. And the one who was sent them to do a task would have to vouch for him. And the Philippians church did, and they vouched for him. They vouched for him as Paul vouched for Timothy. And again, he had to go through all the windy roads and to get there. But he was ready as a messenger to go to Paul so that he can minister to Paul's needs. Do you get that? It wasn't for his own need. He did not go on a holiday. He went there to minister to Paul's needs. And that word minister there, it is a word that is used of a priest who would actually be used to serve others. Did we not see that with Paul? Who was poured out as a drink offering? Do we not see that with Timothy who was willing to go wherever? Do we not see that with Jesus Christ, who although was in the form of God, did not count it a quality, a thing to be grasped, but what? Emptied himself. You see why this chapter God has put here for us to understand? It's all about humble service. And this man is another one who fits into this picture of selflessness, a willing servant, a sacrificial servant. And think about this, brothers and sisters. Think of the affection that Paul has just now revealed to us about this man that he has towards him and they have for one another. He loved him. They loved one another. He soldiered with me. He's ministered with me. He's working. He's laboring hard with me. Why on earth is it necessary for you to send back this guy? If I was to send anybody and be selfish, I'd send someone who's actually just deadbeat. Uh, the guy over there. Hey, George, can you go? Uh, no, there's no George there, brother. I don't know why you look there. George doesn't exist. And I will say, but he's going to send this man whom he's so close to. He's soldiers with him. He's there for the gospel with him. And he says, but I thought it necessary to send him back to you. And that brings us to the second point. So that's his character. The second point is the compassion of this servant. Look with me again, verse 25 and then verse 26. The first part, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now look at verse 26. Because 
He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now, because this word here, longing, means a deep, effectual desire that he had for the church, people think that Epaphroditus wanted to go back because he had enough of doing ministry. He just wanted to go back and, and live the lifestyle, sing Kumbaya with his brothers and sisters, uh, be comfort and be in joy with them. But that is not true to the text because that's not what the text tells us. If you continue to read, it says he longed for them because they heard he was sick. Because they heard that he was sick. So, so Paul thought it necessary because the Philippian church was so concerned for Epaphroditus, whom they loved. Now, no doubt Epaphroditus missed them and loved them and wanted to be with them. But that is not the reason why he was longing with a deep affection to see them. In fact, Let's continue to read. It says, and was distressed. He was in anguish. He was anxious, deeply disturbed. He was troubled. Why? Was it because he, wasn't, he wanted to check out for ministry? He had enough of Paul. He had enough of the Romans. He had enough. And that's it. I just want to go home because he missed the church. No, brothers and sisters. Because you heard that he was sick. That's the reason. This man's intense, agonizing, restless longing for the Philippians, his longing for the Philippians was not for his benefit, but for theirs. Do you see that deep love, affection of this man? He has it for Paul and he has it for the Philippians. He is a man that you can want to model after. He didn't so much miss them, but it's because they were concerned for him. Now, please note, let us not pass by this. Even the Apostle Paul, wasn't he in need? Didn't he need Epaphroditus there? I mean, isn't that the reason why they sent him? But Paul's affection never ceases to amaze me. He says, never mind me. Don't worry that I'm chained to a guard or two. And maybe I'm not going to have any money to buy food or any clothes. No, 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 no. Paul is concerned that Epaphroditus is concerned. That the Philippians are concerned. So he sends him back. This is a lot of concerning. This is a lot of affection that we can easily overlook. Because when we come under persecution and when we come to sickness, because let's not forget, this man is still sick when he's thinking this. I don't know about you, but when you get sick, what's the first thing you do? I'm sick. Or when you're in trouble, you say, well, no, not this guy, not the Apostle Paul. They're all concerned from one another. And he says that he came, verse 27, Indeed, he was sick to the point of death. He was pretty sick. He nearly died. Now, the word sick, I'll just really quickly mention this, okay? It's used in two ways in the scriptures. This word can mean weak. Well, it literally does mean weak without strength. But it can be used for illnesses or diseases. When Jesus healed a disease, uh, that can be used there. It's used like that in scripture. And another way it's used is that a person is weak spiritually and physically for the work of Christ. Which I think it's fitting here. Because verse 30 tells us, because he came to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. So I don't think that he had an illness. I think he had some, maybe something physical. I don't think it was like he had COVID. You know, I don't think they had COVID back then for whatever flu, but I think it had to do, whatever the case may be, it was for the work of the gospel, for the work of Christ in verse 30. He came close to death, so close to death. In what? That he was serving the apostle Paul. 
in service, in serving and preaching. Epaphroditus was sold out for Christ. He is a super servant ready to die because he had compassion on the people of God because he had passion for Christ. This is what I call a perfect love triangle, not in a sinful way, God forbid, but in a humble way where they are selflessly seeking the benefit of others, not themselves. Think about this, brothers. He would have been exhausted. The circumstances, he nearly died. And what does he do? He has compassion. He says, I'm longing to see them. I'm distressed for them. I I want to go and see them. Is this not a model of Christ? This man is willing to go all the way, even if it cost him his life, for the gospel. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you want to live your life for the gospel, it will cost you. It will cost you. It will cost you everything. It can cost you sleepless nights. Early mornings, being in prayer, serving others, preaching the gospel, fighting the flesh, fighting spiritual forces. Isn't that what we see with the Lord himself who cared so much for others? Whilst he's on the cross, was he concerned for his well-being? Did Jesus say, I am in anguish for myself, I am in pain? But he says, Father, forgive them. Was he not serving us? This man might not be Paul. He, he might not be called to be an apostle. And the little that we know about him, this man we want to learn from. Because this man in the presence of Christ, whether known or unknown to us, he is enjoying the labor of his fruit. And Paul continues and he says in verse 27, This sick man, the one who came close to death, he says, But God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. This is a sick man. He nearly died. No uh, magic Catholic oil could help this man. No false healer. No voodoo man. No Benny Hinn swinging his jacket was going to be able to revive this man. But God alone, God intervened and had mercy on him. Let us be reminded, brothers and sisters, everything has to do with the mercy of God. We live and we breathe and we celebrate birthdays and we do and we sing all because God has had mercy on us. If God wills for us to be sick, so be it. And if he wills for us to be healed, that's his mercy. All of it begins with mercy. You were once living in your trespasses and sins. But God had mercy on you. And God had mercy on this man, Epaphroditus. And it says, not only on him, but also on me, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. What on earth is Paul talking about? He loved him. By God showing mercy to Epaphroditus, he was showing mercy to Paul by keeping him there for Paul. What a merciful God. He says, because if this man died, I would have had sorrow, not just sorrow, but sorrow upon sorrow because he loved Epaphroditus. He was connected with Epaphroditus. How connected are you with your brothers and sisters? This is a, this is a connection, right? Maybe someone dies in our congregation, we'll have two tears and move on. This man says if, if God took him, he was going to have waves and waves and waves and waves of sorrow of his affection for him. God gave him mercy. And again, 
What does the Apostle Paul do? Thank you, Jesus. You have given me my brother back. I'm going to hug him and I'm going to keep him. No, he doesn't. Because God showed mercy to Paul by allowing this man to live, what does he do? He shows mercy to the Philippians church and he sends him back. Wow. May we learn from this that if God shows us mercy, that even in that mercy, we will use that mercy to give that mercy to someone else. Think of the temptation of Paul. I don't want to send him back. You just restored him, God. Can I keep him for a little bit longer? No, 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 no. Look at what he says, and this brings us to, to, to the next point, which is the willingness of the servant. Verse 28, look at that. Therefore, since God has now had mercy on this man, watch what he says. I have sent him, and I will, all the more eagerly. I've sent him all eagerly. So that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Then he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him with high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service. This is a a willing servant who is willing to go where God sends him, just like Timothy and just like Paul. I'm eagerly to send him back to you so that you can have joy. What a picture of a humble servant that we have here. This is the chapter 2 that we've seen. We've seen Christ, we've seen Paul, we've seen Timothy. Now we see Epaphroditus. He goes back in a heartbeat. And Paul says, receive him. And this word receive, brothers and sisters, It's a command. He's commanding them. You receive him in the Lord with all joy. You receive this man and you have deep gratitude and gladness of heart because this man came close to death. He did way more than what you send him for. He did not just come and bring me finances. He nearly died for the gospel. And because of that, brothers and sisters, he says, Hold men like him in high regard. And that's another imperative. Hold him. Continuously hold men like him and give him honor and consider him as a valuable piece of the church. Why? Because he was risking his life. He was risking his life in, in completing what's deficient in your service. Not so much that the Philippian church was deficient in their service because I loved Paul and they're the ones who sent the money to Paul and they sent Epaphroditus. But they couldn't all be there, so they sent him. He says, what well, you couldn't do, all of you, it was all done in one man. <laughs> Did you get that? This man represented all of you. And he came here and he did way more than you can imagine. And you receive him back. I'm sending him back to you. Now you're joyful. He's joyful. I'm joyful. Before you were sad. He was sad. I was concerned. Now praise God. I mean, think about it. A man of such value within the body of Christ. I'm sure Wes will agree with me. We will find it hard to let him go. But what a gracious, gracious God to humble a person to say, no, they are in greater need than what we are. So we'll send him out. And and thus he went. Rejoice when you see him. So I will be less concerned about you. Isn't this a great resume for a servant? Shouldn't we aim for this kind of resume to be under our belt? Because we're coming to a close here. I really don't want to move from chapter 2. It's been a wonderful chapter for me. Encouraging and challenging. But how do we then apply 
this to our lives, brothers and sisters? How do we apply chapter 2? How do we apply that we are told do nothing from selfish selfishness and empathy conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others above yourselves? Have the attitude of Christ. Serve. I guess we can start by asking questions. This man had battle scars. Are there battle scars in your life that prove that you are fighting this battle? That you are in this church fighting as a soldier? If you're claiming to be a Christian today, you know the one who enlisted you as a soldier is Christ? Ought you not to be fighting? We know the scars of Epaphroditus. He nearly died. We know them of Timothy. We know Paul died. We know Jesus died. Are you fighting the good fight for the gospel? Or perhaps the only fights that you know at this point in your life, you're fighting with your wife, You're fighting with your husband. You're fighting with your boss. You're fighting with your kids. You're fighting with your neighbor. You're fighting with your car that doesn't start. That's not a good fight. The good fight is to be a witness in your life for the gospel in your church and outside the church. Do you get belong beside a brother Can he call you brother? You know something that stood out for me in the conference? What the Puritans had absolutely no problem saying you when they preached. And they had absolutely no problem telling people you must move forward and fall in love with Christ all the more. Because sometimes when we get beside a brother or a sister and we try to share with them and share with them perhaps a flaw that we see, they don't put their guards down, do they? The guards go up. How dare you? How is your Christian walk? What's it to you? How are you walking with Christ? I'm okay. Are you soldiering on? Yeah, well, what are you saying? Isn't that what we do by nature? Could we say at the end of our life, if the Lord would choose for you to live another 100 years, because I know some of you are very young, so I'll use 100 years, that you have been a faithful soldier that have fought the good fight in your life, not separately, brothers and sisters, but corporately. This is not a fight that you fight all by yourself. It's never spoken of. That is not what Paul meant. Epaphroditus was one of his men, was he not? Jesus said, But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Most people, we struggle to know how do we serve, what do we do, how do we do it. Well, let's turn to Romans. Let me just give you just some pointers. Romans chapter 12, and then we'll begin to bring this to a close. This man was a soldier. He was a faithful brother. He was a worker. He was a messenger. He was a minister. This man gave his life away for the gospel, and for the people of God. Chapter 12 from verse 9. Here's where we can begin, brothers and sisters. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's your first point. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
be to, devoted to whom? To yourself? Be to, devoted as a soldier who enlisted himself? No, it does not. It says be devoted to one another. How? In brotherly love. In brotherly love. How? What do I do? Give preference to one another. How? In honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and so on and so forth. This is what we have seen in this so far in chapter 2. Every day of our lives must be lived in the presence of God. And we ought to be ready and willing like Epaphroditus to do what it takes to make Christ known and exalt Him in our service, to go where He commands us, to endure, to be compassionate, to work and to be a soldier. Are you concerned this morning? What is your concern this morning? Because we saw concern from from the Philippian church, from Epaphroditus, and from Paul. What's your concern this morning? Because your concern, if it's for you, it's a wrong concern. The concern ought to be not for reputation, not for position. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to do the offering. Your concern ought to be for your brethren. How are they going? How are they loving? How is their affection for Christ? The Apostle Paul wrote this about this man. Now let me ask you this question. If you were to write your resume as a servant right now, what would be on it? What would you write? And Christ in heaven looks at it. What would he read? In fact, let me go a step further. All right? Paul was the one who was actually writing this resume for this man. So if someone else were to write a resume about your life here at Saving Grace Bible Church, what would they say? What would they say? In accordance to the way you're living your life, what could they say about you? It's frightening, right? I mean, of course, you can always be picky and choosy, but I think it's a good way to examine. What would someone write about me in a resume as my Christian life, in my Christian life? Brethren, I pray that we will have a resume like this man that will that would be spoken highly before God by the holy angels and it will be spoken highly in hell causing havoc for the kingdom of darkness that's a resume that we want to aspire for that we will become selfless servants of God this is a holy resume. And the Lord, according to Scripture, is looking for men and women of this nature. May we be all found like this man and women and like. Amen? But I want to talk to you, those of you who are not born of God yet. Or maybe you still think you're a Christian and none of this stuff moves you. None of this stuff does anything. It's just a guy talking. It's just repetitive. He just talks. You go home. You move. You get goose pimples a little bit and nothing happens to you. Here's the fight that you ought to be worried about. You are fighting God, not the preacher. 
because this is the word of the living God. And if the word of the living God is not moving you, you can bet my life on it that this man will not be able to move you. The preacher is only presenting to you the words of the living God. And if you are fighting these words, you are not fighting the preacher. You are fighting your maker. And if you're not moved by the word of your maker, perhaps it is because God is still angry with you. And you don't want God to, as we will go into the streets today, to have justice on you. You want God to have mercy on you. You want to beg God to save you, not your physical life like Epaphroditus, but your soul. That God will move his wrath and hold it back. And with his other hand, he will pull you in and say, come, now is the the time of salvation. If you're here and week in and week out and all you hear is the preacher, you're not listening because the preacher is giving you the word of God. And it's him that you must give an account to. You don't want to be concerned about your physical state. You want to be concerned about your spiritual state. And if you're spiritually dead, there is something wrong. Come to Christ. Give your life to Him. Admit to Him that I've been walking a life of ungodliness. I am dead. There is no fruit in me. I have nothing to bear that proves that I am a Christian, except that I did a prayer once, except that maybe once I was baptized. That doesn't prove that you're a Christian. What proves that you're a Christian, it's not even works are your affections and love and desire for Jesus Christ growing in your life. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to the end of these few verses in chapter 2 of Philippians that you so humbly put in here perfectly for us to understand what it means to be humble servants, May we take this truth. Oh, Lord God, may we eat it as the apostles, as the prophets of old did. That we will marinate this, that this will become us. That this is not just an exercise of the intellectual will, but the emotions and the affections of Christ will grow in us. That we will love him and serve him. And outdo one another in love and affection for Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I beg of you that no words that come out of my mouth will move anybody. But that you, by your spirit, will move people to yourself. We beg of you, God. We cannot move anybody. But you can. For what is impossible with man, it is possible with God. Amen.